individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. So in 2008, 2009, in the Great Recession, I actually lost my job and it happened out of the blue. I was really depressed and I couldn't shake thoughts like, I'm a failure, I'm doomed, how could I do this to my family? I felt a tremendous amount of shame and I couldn't get out of it. I was emotionally stuck, you know, and I really was relationally stuck too because I was isolating, I wasn't talking to anybody and eventually I snapped out of it and I started to realize that, okay, there's hope and there's potential in my future. And it changed everything for me. I went back to my foundation, which is in my legacy journey process, the beans. So we're talking relationships, perspective, self-worth, emotional health. Today, well, actually, that experience led me to creating Decide Your Legacy. It led me to creating the legacy journey process. And so I'm grateful for it. And today, what I'm going to talk to you about is that foundational principle that you got to build emotional and relational health to start the foundation to building your legacy. I have a special guest today. He's a good friend. And I'm going to give him a chance to introduce himself in a moment here. I want to start by saying, hey, this is the Decide Your Legacy podcast. Welcome. This is the podcast that you do, not just listen to. It's a podcast of action. I'm Adam Gregg, your host. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify, anywhere you get podcast content, take you 15 seconds on your phone, like, love this podcast, share it with your friends, get it out there. It helps it to grow organically, which it has been significantly. If also you find this podcast helpful at any point, you can link and you can click the link to Shatterproof Yourself, my new course, it's a one hour course, seven simple steps to deciding your legacy, to creating the foundation of deciding your legacy. As I share in every episode, some risks I've taken recently. One is I decided, and this was just out of the blue, but I decided to give people a Starbucks gift card if they could name the nine planets and then how far away they are from the sun. So kind of the order. So of course, I'll give you a hint right now. It's Mercury is the closest to the sun. And then Pluto is the furthest, although it's not, and I know it's not actually a planet, it's a belt, the Kuiper belt. So anyway, that was fun. It was kind of a risk. People looked at me kind of awkwardly, kind of crazy. And I also did something interesting where I saw a guy who I hadn't seen in probably about two years. And I remembered his name because I had written it down. And so I went up to him and this was actually in a coffee shop. And I just said, hey, how's it going, Nick? And he looked at me like, who are you or whatever? And I'm like, you're Nick Nichols is what his name was. I mean, I remembered it too, because it kind of was a similar first and last name. So anyway, that went really well into a really good conversation. And the reason I talk about risks is because it does take action to make progress in your life. I want you to take action in your life. So again, I'm a legacy coach, mental health professional, speaker, podcaster. I'm Adam Gregg. I've been doing this. I've been in mental health. I've been licensed since 1999. And my life purpose is to help people and organizations find transformational clarity to face their biggest fears so they can live and leave their chosen legacy. And usually those are emotional fears. I talk about stuff that you can describe to your six-year-old and they're going to be able to understand it. I also talk about things I struggle with myself, relationships and emotions I struggle with. I mean, pretty much every day in some way. And I want you to have some tips and tools today from somebody who's gonna have a different perspective. And so I wanna go ahead and, oh, one last thing before I introduce my guest. I wanna remind you to listen as a teacher. It's gonna stick when you realize that you can teach something or talk about something you learned today with somebody else. So listen as a teacher. So I wanna introduce to you Todd Nickel. 
And Todd's been a good friend of mine for a number of years, and he's been in the mental health, been a licensed mental health professional for 20 years, right? I believe. Just share whatever you want to share, Todd. And Well, this is kind of my, actually my second career, to be honest with you. I started off my, I have, I went to college and I graduated with a business degree thinking I was going to set the business world on fire. That's what I really thought was going to happen. But as time went on, I just realized that wasn't necessarily my calling. I kind of felt like I wanted to help people more and I wanted to be more involved in helping them reach their goals, to be satisfied, to be content with life. And so that's when I, in all my great wisdom, I waited until I was already married and had three small children before I yeah. quit my job and went back to school. Um, you may have to talk to my wife if that was a really a great idea or not. But anyway, I went back to school and finished up and got a degree in marriage and family therapy. And so I've been doing that for the last 20 years. Most recently, tell you about where I'm at. And, sure. Okay. I have an office called Axiom Counseling and Therapy Services here in Wichita, Kansas. And so I've been there about seven years we've been open. So. so tell me about your family. My family, I'm married almost 30 years. All right. Yep. I have three wonderful children. My oldest, her husband live here in town and I'm expecting my first grandchild in about five months. And I'm very excited about that. And that child is going to be spoiled horribly. <laughs> I've already dedicated yeah. my life to that part of it. So anyway, so we're looking forward yeah. to that. And then I have two boys that One's in human resources and one's in, at K-State studying speech pathology. So he's working through that. And that'll be another couple, three years before he's out. So your oldest is how old? He's 24. And your youngest is? 22. 22, 24, and 26. It's really easy to okay. figure that. I mean, just that, that skip. Okay. You know, uh-huh. I thought you had five kids. No. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. No. Why did I think you had five kids? I don't kids? know. Who are these kids? Know. I've seen them at your I house. I can't even Come imagine on. four. I, I, so <laughs> yeah. three is perfect. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, and I thought Todd would be just a great guest to talk about relationships because he's had, and what I've seen is a really strong marriage, and I see him relating to his kids and the relationship he's built with his kids. And so I've really admired that. And also I've seen Todd learn how to stay calm in difficult situations. And so I thought he had some real great life experience to share with everybody that's going to be valuable today. And, you know, I'm going to ask him questions. He's going to share. We're going to banter, you know, whatever. I'm going to make him really uncomfortable. Maybe. Hopefully not. Maybe not. So yeah. we'll see. So, but I, this topic right here. So what, people, when they come to someone like Todd, a counselor, a lot of times they want to be fixed. They have some kind of problem and they want a goal and outcome. You know, they got a relational problem, emotional problem. They got some grief whatever, they're stuck in some way, you know, and they come to me as a coach too, with some kind of way they're stuck, you know, they know they want a new career, but they don't know how to get there. And people are often impatient in that process. It's okay, fix me, you know, it's first session, what? We're not doing kind of, what, our marriage isn't fixed after this, whatever kind of. That's a really common question. During a first session, they'll say, so how long do you think this is going to take? And that's obviously a question that can't be answered right away, but yeah. it's a very common question. So. Yeah. Then they're mad when you haven't fixed them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to come back? Right. No, I mean, and yeah. so the reason I think this is so important from a coaching perspective is because if you don't have good relationships and if you don't have a good sense of self-worth and you don't know how to regulate your emotions and deal with those emotions, then you're going to be really stuck and at a disadvantage and you can't build and even have the clarity. So when you get the foundation laid, the benefit is that you're gonna stop you know, overreacting. You're gonna stop, I mean, doing damage to your physical health because emotional problems can. Do you damage to your mental, physical health, relational health? You know, not dealing with emotions, relationships well, you're gonna be isolated potentially. You're gonna feel, I mean, self-fulfilling prophecy. You're kind of gonna approach people without confidence and you're gonna get that kind of same result back because people pick up on that emotionally, but the benefits, are amazing. And so as I think about it, you know, if we build a life that has more positive and much more, we're accumulating positives, we have things we're excited about and enjoying and 
we're excited about things later in the day, excited about things in our life in the future, even 10 years from now, it's going to change everything. And so when we have a good foundation, it gives us insight and clarity on what's next. It helps us make decisions, have more fun, relax, think clear, just see what's ahead that's positive. And so not being stuck any longer. And now what I want you to do is an action real quick right now. So take the time to write down somebody that you want to have a better relationship with in your life. It could be somebody that maybe you don't know very, you a colleague possibly that you have some tension with, or it could be a person you're really close with, but you want to rekindle that relationship. So if you're driving, don't do that right now. I mean, you can talk in your phone, something like that. And then after that, I want you to write down an emotion, probably the emotion that you most dislike feeling. Okay, so write that down and think about that. And so at the end of this podcast, you're gonna have tools to actually cope with this and you're gonna have some takeaways on that because I, I hate to feel rejection. I mean, or embarrassment. I just, I mean, and I've had some major embarrassments in my life, just the things that have happened in my, I mean, I've shared things that happened in my marriage and things, career, professionally. I was tremendously embarrassed in 2008, 2009. I mean, because I didn't, it took me seven months to get a new job. I mean, but a lot of people were struggling, but I thought, mm -hmm. and I personalized it, like there's something wrong with me, like I'm messed up. So. That's the stuff we're going to talk about today. So Todd, what are some of the common challenges that people have in relationships that they come to you with? Well, the biggest one, obviously, is going to be communication. They just have a difficult time. I think we all get in our heads at times that we, you know, I want to get this point across. I want people to understand exactly what this message is, but they have a hard time actually putting that out in a way that they, I don't know, way they intend, I guess is a good way to say that. And so just being able to slow down long enough just to get your thoughts together and making sure that the other person understands what they're trying to say. I think that's probably the biggest thing is just communication okay. uh, and time is another one too. I mean, we just live in a, just a go, go society. So it's really difficult for people to kind of come together and find that time together. So that's, okay. that's a lot of what I see. Yeah. So they want more time together. They or, do. Yes. Yeah. And they don't know how to get it right in their life. Right. Okay. Busyness, I guess is a good way. Okay. Yeah. So what do you tell them? Like, just yeah. <laughs> slow down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Come see on. how easy that is? <laughs> what we do is we start looking at what priorities are and exactly what long-term goals are for people. And I think that's kind of a, uh, unique any, anymore when somebody sits down and says, tell me a little bit about who you are. Tell me what you want. Tell me what this long-term vision looks like. And being able for them to sit down long enough during a session and say, wow, I, nobody's ever really asked me what I'm going for. And so that's what we do. I mean, I start off with that and letting them prioritize you know, huh. their, their life. So what they really wants. want in this Absolutely. relationship, yeah. in their marriage, with their mm -hmm. kids, with whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. And they tell you they've never been actually asked that. A lot of times Which they don't. is amazing because you think that's kind of a basic, but you would people, think. You, well, I know, but yeah. people, that's why counseling is so valuable because mm -hmm. it gives you a chance to slow mm -hmm. down, have these questions asked right. that people aren't going to ask. And because it's so busy, you think, I mean, they're not thinking about what they really want. I think that people just assume it's going to happen. I mean, once you... Uh, get married, you start a family, and it's just kind of organically happens and things come together. And But it doesn't. It takes strategy. It takes time. It takes focus. It takes energy. And it takes a lot of selflessness to make sure I say that right, selflessness and not selfishness. But it takes a lot of work. It's not just a, you know, wake up one morning and there we're at the end of the, the journey. It just doesn't work that way. And so communication is there's something that you, or any tips that you teach them with communication? I have about, well, there, I call it a safeguard. So I have like nine different steps that I won't go all the way through those necessarily. Highlights are, but, yeah. but there's about nine steps to safeguard a relationship for effective and appropriate communication. And basically what I want to do, a lot of times when people are trying to communicate with one another, they feel vulnerable, they feel stuck, they're scared that it's not going to happen, or they're afraid it's going to go right into some sort of argument or, or some kind of conflict, and it doesn't have to. So one of the things that I do is I just have them set and say, the first step is just agree. Do we agree that things need to change? Things need to get better. 
And once we can get to that agreement and they feel like they're on the same page, then things tend to automatically start to to wind down a little bit, or at least the anxiety level seems to de-escalate. Okay. So there's just different things I can do, try to coach them on in order to make sure that their conversations are not sharp and they're not conflictual necessarily. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. I right. think it has, that word has a bad rap, right. but, but conflict right. is not necessarily, because it's it, conflict is not combative or it doesn't right. have to be combative. Right. We just make it that way. Conflict can mean progress. Absolutely. It's done the right way. Right. Yeah. And so how do you do conflict the right way? You're trying to, talking about that right now. Right. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, teach the communication, teach good communication, good listening skills, good speaking skills, understanding who your partner is, you're waiting to, and knowing exactly how to feed into what their hopes and dreams and desires are. And really, I mean, it seems simplified, but the best way to do that is to stop and listen. To stop and listen. Right. That's the way you start. And so what are some of the common misconceptions people have about relationships? Well, like I said earlier, I think one misconception is that they think it just happens organically. I'm in love and therefore it's just going to work out. Well, you need to put a little bit of effort into it, a little bit of work into it. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen with marriage issues is that, you know, over time that we lose sight of, of what it meant to be a couple. You know, once you start having children and things happen like that, you kind of get into this rut or this routine of this is how we make life work. And the last thing that we put effort into is keeping that alive. And so that's one of the things okay. that we need to pay attention to. So that it happens organically. It doesn't, not necessarily. Anyway, That listening things, you know, I had Emerson mm-hmm. last week. She told me that, and I had no idea, but I said after dinner, hey, let's go to the Y and work out. And we've been going after dinner to work out at the Y or swim or do something mm-hmm. for years and years. And then the last couple of weeks, she's been really resistant with that. And I hmm. couldn't figure out why exactly, but she told me, and I was really proud of her for sharing this. She said, basically, you know, when you challenge me to go to the Y, I feel like you're not happy with me. Like you oh. think I'm not healthy yeah. or I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, but she had to explain that to me and change things. Cause I had no idea that was inter- her interpretation of mm-hmm. it. And people can misinterpret what they think is being said. Mm-hmm. And then it's totally opposite. So Absolutely. do you have any kind of tool you use with people to make sure they understand accurately or clearly or not, and don't misinterpret what they think they heard? <laughs> I've heard, always heard that when you're in a communication or a conversation with somebody that you listen and then you repeat it back to make sure that you're you know, you understand what they're trying to say. And I guess on the surface level, I think that's really good, but I think it's more of intent too. So asking good questions is what it is. It's not just, did you say this, but it's like, okay, why is that important to you? Help me to understand. So once you understand where a person is coming from and why they even have that feeling, it's a lot easier to, I don't know, to help meet that need, to understand exactly what they want, to understand the intent and the motivation behind the request or the the hurt, you know? And yeah. So that's one of the things that what we try to do is, is just listen and ask good questions. So I should ask Emerson, like, why is this so important? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Because think about when she shared that with you, how easy that was to kind of rectify that situation. After, it was, after she, she had, shared it. Yeah. Absolutely. When I still she just wanted said her to go to the gym, though. I was like, <laughs> that's come, when you tell you her, know? you tell her, it's because I want to. I, I have I nothing know, to do exactly. with you. I, I get lonely. You know, I just come on. I mean, I'm like, this on. is fun. We did right. we did this your whole life. You know? Yeah. But then she was able to say, like, you know, well, this. Because I was able to say it's so important for my mental, emotional health to go mm-hmm. and exercise and have routine and things like that. Right. And then she was like, well, we can be active in other ways. And I said, well, how can we do that? You know, mm-hmm. so well, we can go on a walk, you know, mm-hmm. we can go take the dog. And right. it was cold, I think, last mm-hmm. week, not that night, but gave me some ideas of things that she thought. And I wouldn't have gotten there had she not right. shared more. Right. So Max needs a walk. I mean, Max needs to, a walk. Absolutely, I mean, he can't right? run. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Max is my dog, a 13-year-old Gordon Setter. So and so, what are some of the common emotional problems? Because as we talk about this, we're going to mix mm-hmm. emotions with relationships. Mm-hmm. They're highly connected that you experience from clients they shared with you. Mm-hmm. Emotional issues that people come to you. It can be personally or relationally. I mean, mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, there's a lot, there's a variety, of course, but some of the emotional things, I think a lot of times, especially since I noticed this since COVID, you know, but the emotional part of it is either anxiety has created loneliness or that isolation and separation. And I don't know that people do that well. I mean, I think they're getting better at it and I don't think that's a great thing necessarily, but that isolation part of it and just feeling um, lonely, feeling like there's no no connection with people. So I see a lot of that, at least frequently, or lately yeah. in the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of that, Okay, that that disconnect from people. So that's one part of it. And again, the depression part of it, I mean, I don't know if you're looking at, if yeah, that's what you're asking about. Like Anxieties, yeah, sure. depressions, loneliness, and isolation. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much a lot of what I see right now. What makes it so that people are scared of relationships? Or that contributes, because it feels right. like loneliness is very that's common. Part of it, right, but there's that whole that word that people hate, it's vulnerability. I mean, when you make yourself vulnerable, I mean, what we're asking you to do, if I'm asking my wife to be vulnerable with me, I'm asking her to share with me everything that she hates about herself and everything that she is worried about that she's not confident in. I mean, that that's pretty rough. I mean, for people to just share that and to be transparent and vulnerable with somebody else, I think that's what scares them about, about relationships. About getting yeah. deeper. Yeah, with it. it's just having to bear themselves in front and of somebody else. Uh-huh. What makes people scared about building new relationships? Well, I think it's kind of the same thing, just putting themselves out there. And I don't think, you know, I'm going to go, I'm showing my age with this and everything, but this whole social media thing of not learning how to, to interact with people on a face-to-face level, and it's all done via screen. And so they don't have to be quite as vulnerable, quite as transparent with one another. But I think they don't know how to respond to other people on a on a person-to-person basis. I've seen, now granted, I've seen a lot of like high school students and college students and that, and maybe younger, younger adults that have a difficult time putting themselves out there, not knowing how to do it. So it's the lack of experience, lack of trying. But that that really scares them to have to get out there and say, hello, my name is. That is awkward. Yeah. You know? And nobody wants to feel awkward, right? So, right. So I'm going to make you, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. What's the emotion that you most dislike feeling? Me personally? I, I, I mean? Yeah, I mentioned rejection and embarrassment, like for me. Yeah. I think mine is probably embarrassment as well. I mean, I like to joke around a lot. I like to, you know. Not I as kinda, much as me. I have a dry, I have a dry <laughs> yeah. sense of humor. I call it like <laughs> that sharp wit, whatever. But, um, and I can do that with people and it, it doesn't bother me. But if I do something that I, that might appear stupid or silly, it's just, I don't do the embarrassment well. Yeah. And I, I, I feel it just kind of wash over my yeah. face, which is just, yeah, I don't love that at don't all. Don't like embarrassment. No, huh? yeah. And it really is, when you think about it, it's not that big a deal. No. You know, somebody laughs at it, we laugh at it, and you know, you go on about your business and everything is fine. Yeah. But for some reason, I just have a bear of a time getting past that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's funny the embarrassment I said is the scariest emotion for me because I actually do embarrassing things. Sometimes I embarrass other people, unfortunately. I won't want to do that. But I mean, you know, when you're a prankster, you kind of do things. I've seen that, you do some of those things. I know. And you've been a victim of, I have of one of those pranks before. Yeah. Yes. That was it, great. To- it totally freaked me out. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Actually, I did that prank on a group over Zoom last night. I have an old man costume. You can see it on my YouTube channel, Decide Your Legacy. See some of these pranks if you want. But I scare people. I don't really scare them. I mean, trying to just have fun. But yeah. You know, it is so, the most realistic looking mask I've ever it's seen. It's pretty realistic. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to improve over time as Creepy. well. Because, you know, he ages <laughs> over time as well. Old man Rusty. So what oh What God. are then, if it, people are terrified of relationships, so then what are suggestions that you give people if they want to make new friends? Sounds like a silly thing when mm-hmm. someone 40 years old says yeah. they want to make new friends. But right. what are some practical things they can do? Well, we start talking to 
first of all, it, goes, it starts with just making them feel comfortable with what they're trying to do. I mean, so we'll sit down and we'll have a whole conversation, maybe a whole session conversation about where do you feel most comfortable? What are you trying, you know, what kind of friend are you trying to make? And why are you trying to make this friend? Where do you feel like you're deficient in your life? And do you need that socialization? Do you need somebody who's going to be more of a spiritual mentor buddy to you? or somebody that you go to a sporting event with, oh, what are we looking for here? And then we start start asking questions to get them to figure out where's the most logical place to find those type of people, people with a like mind or some affinity level. What is, so we start talking through that. And then once you talk about what it looks like and where it's at, it takes a lot of the fear away because it seems natural. Like, oh yeah, I do that too. I like that. And I like to go to those places. And so, okay. and then I do, what I do with my, with my clients is I always try to give them a challenge when they leave my session, because sitting down and talking to me, don't get me wrong. It's great. I, I always <laughs> tell you, it's awesome that you come in and talk to me once a week, once every other week, but your life is happening outside there. So I always want to send them away with some sort of practical applications. I want you to try this and then report back. And so there's some accountability with that. So once we've kind of normalized a place for them to go or a thing for them to do, then I push them out of the nest, so to speak, and okay. say, let's go try this. And then we come back and we we decompress or we kind of evaluate and see how it went and what they were looking for, what they saw that was different than what they anticipated. So that's kind of what I do. I don't know if that answered the uh, yeah, question. Yeah, that does. I mean, it's because they're getting out and actually putting themselves in an environment yeah. where they could make a new right. friend. So do they usually follow through with that challenge? Usually. Now, sometimes, though, it will take two and three promptings, you know, after yeah. two or three sessions, because it is a little bit nerve wracking. And it's very intimidating to say, wait a minute, you, you want me to do what? And it's kind of my little version of exposure therapy where, you know, we actually get them and, you know, afraid of heights and you take yeah. them on the roller coaster, you take them to, you yeah. know, to walk across the bridge. The roller or something coaster. Like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Do you ever say, like, I'll be your friend, let's go get pizza? Uh, I've never done that. I don't <laughs> you know. can't do that. I don't, I don't think that would be, yeah, no, I don't think that would be that. appropriate. But yeah, exactly. That but my goal be. is to get them to ha have a friend that will have pizza with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And have you had situations where they've come back and been shocked? Like I made, like I connected oh, some, with somebody yes. and yeah. like, this is possible? Yeah. Uh, some, that really is. There have been, and going back to your previous statement, there have been times I've really wanted when I've given them an assignment to do and I said, okay, go to this particular place. There's everything that's in me that wants to go like 15 minutes ahead of them and sit at a different <laughs> table and just watch. I mean, I really want to do that. I have never done that because I think yes. that's inappropriate. I, but yeah, I know. I've always wanted to just, because I, I love to see it in action. I love yeah. to see it when that takes place and I love to see when that light bulb comes on just yeah like, wow this can work this can do so yeah i do love that i will actually challenge clients in a session if they'll say they're saying i got this friend i haven't reached out to them in a mm. year or whatever like hey you want to text them now and mm. see what they're up to and just write in a session yeah and they're like no you know, are, are you sure <laughs> well okay i'll yeah. why not and then yeah. they text them and then they right. I mean, it's in the moment before they can let fear kind of set in. That's a good way to say like, that, before fear sets yeah, in. Yeah, talk themselves out of it. Yeah. So so why do you think people have trouble with emotions that are so powerful, like fear and sadness and grief? And what can they do when those emotions overwhelm them? Right. Well, mainly it's because we don't know what to do. They're so unknown and unfamiliar. We don't know what to do. It's It feels overwhelming, of course. Um, Just strong emotions. We, I mean, yeah. they're, they're scary. or they're, They they're, are scary. And we don't know what to do with them because they don't come every single day. So when they come so infrequently like that, it's almost like a new experience every single time. So you don't have time to, to kind of figure out what is my routine or what is my response to that. It just comes so quickly. And I think that's why people are afraid of those strong emotions. So what do we do is I try to create a really safe environment within my office, though, and say, let's just experience them. So if they're trying to push them away, I invite them back in a lot yeah. and say, let's just kind of live through this moment for a little bit. And I'll um, 
a lot of it is just talking them through it. So what are you experiencing now? Tell me what that feels like and what you're doing with that. And I think it's a little bit easier for them to feel or to be, to get more comfortable if they have somebody else who's guiding them through it instead of just like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, and frantically trying to figure out how to feel about it. So you kind of hit on this, but what are the misconceptions people have about emotions? What's the role oh, of emotions? Right. I mean, it's kind of, they're these scary things that people they don't really, really understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is going to sound weird, but I usually have this struggle mainly with men is that emotions mean you have to be emotional. And I think that we have defined those a little bit differently. The emotions, of course, is what's going on inside of us. The emotional means that the demonstration or the demonstrative actions outward. And so I have a lot of people who come in, specifically males, who think that they have to become emotional. They have to become weepy. They have to, you know, just, you know, that I, every time they come in, I'm going to offer them the Kleenex box or something like that. That's not exactly what that uh. is. So one of them is explaining what this is, what emotion is, and this is what emotionality is. So tell me how comfortable you are with displaying or demonstrating your emotions. And that usually gets them okay going a little bit. And so, so you define between the two. The two, so like a, a boss that's really angry and like mm -hmm. kind of yells at their employees and mm -hmm. stuff, that being emotional or... I think that's being emotional. Emotional. That's why yeah. I would define that. Oh, is that how you were when you managed Chick-fil-A? Yeah, exactly. No, I was always happy to be there. That is not to oversell it. That is the greatest company in the entire world. I'm telling you, I'm not going to. Was that your first job out of college? My my first job out of college, first job in high school. It was Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. That I was a long. That was a long time ago, huh? It, well, but then you were the manager. Years. How long did you work for Chick-fil-A? Well, golly, I started in 1980 when okay. I was in high school. Yeah. My first job out of college when I graduated in 80. Nine. Yeah, 89. So I think I all told I worked 15 or 16 years. I can't really remember. For Chick-fil-A. Right. I know that. Wow. Uh -huh. A long yeah. time. Yeah. And you never yelled at any of your employees. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know that <laughs> you're lying. I know, I know there are some employees that still live here in town. So uh, but, you're uh, going to yeah. get some stuff. They, uh, so get some yeah. heat here. I go to church uh, with a, some of these A young people. manager. <laughs> I'm sure you got emotional. It, it was, yeah. At times, I'm sure I did. Uh -huh. but, um, but yeah, no, I a boss yelling at an employee. Honestly, yes, that is an em emotional, emotional kind of right. thing. So in the midst of sadness or anger or emotion, and you're in the grips of it. So what could you do or what suggestions would you have to get out of the grips to know it's going to pass and it's not mm -hmm. to not let it consume you? Of course, the most obvious one, right, is take a deep breath. And that's one of the hardest things to do, because when you get in that moment and it starts really overtaking you, the first thing you need to do is to, I mean, physically and literally take a step backwards, maybe, and take a deep breath to kind of let your heart rate go down a little bit. But that's also the hardest thing to do. But if you can kind of train yourself. So one a good trick with this, too, though, is practice doing that before you need it. So if something that is maybe a little bit stressful, mm. a little bit anger inducing maybe, but it's not too much, practice it. Step back, take a deep breath and kind of process your okay, thoughts yeah. for a few seconds. And that way, when you really do need it, when something just emphatically or just directly hits you and you're like, I'm going to go over the top here. I'm hoping that your body has a different kind of response to that. And it's yeah. kind of like that muscle memory is like, wait a minute, I feel myself getting agitated. So I need to step back. So you're helping yourself a little bit. So preparing in advance, cause you know, you're going to have those. Absolutely. And that would that mean maybe journaling if it's going to be a tough conversation right. to, about how to be assertive and calmly present that, it. That's exactly right. And the preparation part of it is, is great. I mean, let's face it. We're just human beings. We're going to have all these different emotions that come up. We're going to get angry at times. It's going to hit us. Yeah. So preparing knowing what you're going to do and making a plan. We're not perfect, right? Right. So, but it's going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and it's going to um, practice is what it's going to do. Well, what do you, well, how do you feel about in a moment, you know, just taking a time out? Like I'm just, and then two or three minutes and come back. Is I think, that okay? Again, or? I think that's a great idea if you can actually do it. 
Yeah. So part of, you know, I mentioned earlier about having some safeguards with conversations. One of those things that I allow my couples to do is what I call an adult timeout, which if you feel yourself getting to the point where you're going to say something or do something that is not good, then you take that two or yeah. three minutes and you step away and you process your thoughts. You kind of analyze them and you come back. But here's the trick with that. There's always a little caveat that goes with it. If you're the one that says, I need this time out for three minutes, you go, you get your thoughts together, get your wits together and you come back in three minutes. You don't come back in four minutes or five minutes because then that changes the dynamic and kind of it's kind of the power structure. The really okay. the only reason I did it was because I needed to get my words together. And I hate to, you know, say this, but a lot of times people will use that timeout as an escape plan and mm. say, give me, give me a few minutes, let me think this through. And then you never see them again. It's a manipulative yeah, tactic. Absolutely it so, is. So you've got to be very okay. got trusting for one another. But Every, I think it's yeah. a good idea. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I want to take a little break for a second, a little pause, and I have more questions for Todd. But if you have found this podcast helpful, remember to hit the link to shatterproof yourself, seven simple steps to building the foundation for your legacy. So you don't want to miss that. It covers relationships. It covers very practical things. There's a workbook for it as well. And it's a video. It's me talking. You get to see me like you want to, I'm sure. But you get to see me and go through this whole process here. So I was thinking again about emotional reaction. So one time I smelled some people smoking pot out in front of my mm -hmm. apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Emerson was nine. He was riding her bike out there and she was riding out with her friend. And I remember the friend's name. I won't share it. But the, mm -hmm. and they were like, what's that smell? You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was like, it just, I just got infuriated. Yeah. Because I knew where it was coming from. And mm -hmm. it was the brothers of somebody lived in the complex. And so I went over and I said, hey, you guys smoking pot? And they're like, and they, so they got out of the car yeah. and they basically said, it's none of your business. I'm like, just please go do that in the apartment or yeah. whatever. And then they drove off. And then out of nowhere, I gave them the finger. I mean, out of, <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but I did. And, <laughs> and they came to a screeching halt and the guy popped out of his car and he pushed me. Uh -huh. And then I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then the guy pushed me again. And I was not like backing down, but I'm like, you guys just, you know, go and do that in your apartment. It's not, there's little girls out here and they don't want to, you know, I have no mm -hmm. problem with what you're doing. As long as you do it in private, do mm -hmm. whatever you want to do in private. So anyway, and then the end up being a, a big ordeal. But I thought about that now, like, you know, emotions can get you in trouble, but that was right. a stupid thing. I could have gotten shot, you, you know, honestly, I mean, cause before I was so you, angry before you even uh, knew what you were doing. It before, just, I mean, who knows that a yeah. gun? I mean, you know, that's just right. like, and that's what, the, that's what I've talked to police officer friends and they're like, don't do that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you, that now. You, right? I know that now, but I mean, don't handle this on your own. It's right. just not yeah. wise. Can you describe what emotional intelligence is? I, you know, I know we've talked about this before. Yeah. That's a hard one for me, but the emotional intelligence, the best I can do, and it's probably not great, but it is just knowing what you feel, why you feel it and what you're going to do about it. I don't know if that's a very good definition at all, but that's the best way I can come up with emotionally, just knowing what you're feeling and why. And how can you if people have trouble knowing what they're feeling, how can they learn how to know what they're feeling? A lot of it is going to be talk. I mean, granted, I do this for a living, but I think that going to counseling and having somebody, it's that self-awareness, learning about yourself is the best way to do that is go to a counselor, go to a therapist and just say, okay, I'm trying to figure this out, this life skill. And it truly is a life skill. I'm trying to figure these things out in order to have better relationships with family, with friends, with employers, employees. So I would say that's the best way to do that. And if you're just not willing to do that, read a book. I mean, there is an yeah. emotional intelligence book out, a little bit wordy, but it's a good book. But I'm sure there's lots of different books out there that you could get and say, this is kind of where we're going with that. Yeah. Um, the Enneagram stuff, which I- Like personality not, stuff. Yeah, any of that personality stuff would- Help you understand work. yourself well. Yeah, right. I never thought about that, but that yeah. can help you understand how you're going to, what your tendencies might right. be. And why and you so, act yep. the way that you- And Grant, I'm not, uh, you know, an, any, I've not studied a lot of that, so, but I'm thinking- yeah. 
that's what the purpose of that is. That is really important because yeah. I think if you go and you talk to people about how you're feeling, you sort of unpack it and understand mm -hmm. why. Because sometimes I'm feeling something and then it's not until I actually talk to a friend about it to understand what really triggered that emotion. Right. I'm like, this is just a really bad day. And maybe there was some kind of like, it's a date when someone passed away or it's something that I don't know sometimes. Right. And But they can help me and point out like, maybe it's this or maybe right. it's that. There's a trigger there somewhere. There's a trigger there somewhere. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about just for a day, maybe writing down what you feel at certain times of the day, like I'm feeling this mm -hmm. and then. Well, that's what I believe too, is that there's always some sort of pattern. It may not look like a pattern, but writing and journaling is great. And I would like to say that I love journaling. I love the concept. I wish I was better at it. I'm kind of sporadic on my a personal level with that. But from a therapeutic standpoint, it is awesome. So you start to looking at all your entries and then all of a sudden you can start saying, well, wait a minute, it looks like every seven days or nine days or something like that, I tend to get in more of a depressed type of state. And so, so what else has happened to that? Well, have you been yeah. sleeping or have you been working extra hours? Oh yeah, that, that yeah. makes sense. Or I haven't been able to talk with my friends or family for that long because I've been so busy. Well, of course, that's the way that works. But we start looking for those patterns. And that very, very good yeah. point. Because maybe you haven't worked out in a while. Or maybe Absolutely. you haven't gotten any sunshine. Or Why are you it. looking at me when you say I'm not, that? That's nothing personal. Oh, Let's see, you're acting like Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, you know, so that's a good, and if you talk to people and have good communication, you realize that there's misunderstanding that you never thought would have been there, right? Because right? right. people feel like, oh my gosh, they're, they don't like me. You know, mm -hmm. somebody's going to judge me. And then you talk to somebody yeah. about it and you realize that it's actually something inside of me, not something. And we tend to reality. go to the most catastrophic or the most horrible thoughts. And just as human yeah. nature we do. And I, I don't know where that originated necessarily, but I think the majority of us tend to go to that worst case scenario of why they're not talking. Yeah. Or they did. You know, sometimes if, you, if somebody snubs you in the store, they didn't see you. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Yeah. You know, I'm looking for this particular item in the store and I did not see you standing there. Very simple. And it wasn't anything personal. No. But we just took it personal. Oh, absolutely. And we then we yeah. create that narrative, that whole story that goes along, you know. With, uh, yeah, absolutely. and that can be just like, it can consume a day. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can just take the air out of life right there. And so if you had, you know, the journaling mm -hmm. topic, I'm really glad you brought that up, Todd, because last podcast, number 55, I was had a guest, Nick Bertram, on journaling. And so you may want to check that out because he has some really great insight because mm -hmm. he's somebody that was a skeptic that became a fan oh, yeah. when it comes to journaling. And so what is grief? Okay. That's misunderstood often. Okay. Can I go back to just journaling one, yeah, one, one second real yes. quick? Okay. And here's why, like, I'm a big proponent of when you have, take some time to carve out for yourself to use it, sit down and think about whatever issue we're dealing with in counseling or things like that. I'm a huge proponent of writing things down. And it doesn't have to necessarily, I always tell people, it doesn't have to start off like it was a dark and stormy night or anything like that. It can just be bullet points of what you're thinking at that particular time. Because my belief is that when you have a chance to go back in two days or three days or four days later, you can look at it and it kind of takes on a life of its own at that point. And you can say, oh, wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. Or I've had that same thought like five times in the last two weeks. It must mean something. So you go can go back there and say, that really encapsulates everything I was thinking about. And that really describes that emotion. And you can circle it, underline it. You can start dealing with that. Or you can look at that and say, yeah, I was really hungry and yeah. I was in a bad mood. So I can cross that off because that's really not what I, you know, a part of who I am. But so I, I love journaling and writing that stuff down. So if you're yeah. not somebody who necessarily likes to write in paragraph form, most of my entries and notes are just like bullet points. And yeah. So it keeps me on track of where I am and what I'm thinking on a consistent basis. And then going back and sense. reviewing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I, sorry about that. I wanted to no, go and head I mean, that's backwards. Very, it's very good. And I think the reason I brought up grief is because clients will have a, you know, a loss in right. their life. You know, they lost a job mm -hmm. or I've had clients that have lost their health. I mean, one of my best friends had to deal with some health, mm -hmm. is still dealing with some health 
challenges, right. you know, that were totally unexpected. He had a stroke and people, there's grief in all kinds of different forms. Mm-hmm. It could be, I mean, we think maybe someone lost a kid or they lost a brother or they right. lost a parent, but it's a lot of forms of grief. And Lots I think that's kind of misunderstood right. Right. and it can be something, I mean, a divorce. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, that's huge. a huge as part of grief mm-hmm. too. I mean, right. even changing careers to one that you really like, like we, you know, have like maybe, you know, Brian pod guy does my podcast, mm-hmm. you know, if he changed his career to doing podcasting full-time, he could mm-hmm. grieve potentially not even be, not even know it, but if you're right. in a field, you know, right. he's an engineer, I mean, he's an aeronautical mm-hmm. engineer. I mean, there, it can surprise you. Yeah. So what, what is grief in your kind of definition? Oh, wow. There. Okay. That is a big one. A grief would be what it's just the, the loss of, or the change of something that's expected. I mean, so if we're talking about the loss of life, the loss of a, a loved one, I mean, we have this plan on what life is supposed to look like and the trajectory of what we're supposed to do from now and basically forever is what we're thinking. But, you know, and so when we lose somebody, it's not all of a sudden I have to reconfigure or recalibrate everything that I planned on. So if you take that same kind of philosophy and theory, it's the same thing of losing a job or a divorce or a friendship, relationship, whatever. It's just the change of what we anticipated. And some of them, of course, are going to be a lot heavier, you know, the loss of loved one. I, yeah. And I know you know this, but I lost my dad about six months ago and I'm still trying to figure out how that grieving process works, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. so I, I work with people who are grieving, but it's just different. I mean, so I wish there was like a one-stop shop. You could say, oh, this is what you do. You know, when you at this level that you're going to do this level, this time frame, you're going to do this, but it's not, it's just so nebulous. I mean, it's just so arbitrary. So you know? uh, what has been and kind of getting personal here, I just think this is so helpful for the audience because you have a real life experience that's fresh and everything. So what's been helpful or not helpful from other people helping you with the loss of your dad? <clears throat> well, I'm still dealing with it and still going through that. So I'm not, I don't know if I can put a, a finger right on that. I will know, tell you though, after talking with some other friends who have had some significant losses, one of the best things to do is to be able to talk freely about the loss, the person. That is the absolute best. You know, you hear all these little like, platitudes and all these little, and I know they're nice, they're, people are trying to be nice and comforting, but I can encourage you if you really don't know what to say and you have to come up with one, just say nothing and just say, you know, I'm so sorry that this is where we're at. That's probably the best one. But being able to talk with, say the name of that person is just pivotal. I to say their name. Going, Absolutely. Because people won't say the name. Right. They will they're not. They're afraid to bring, bring it up because they're afraid it's going to be painful. Well, guess what? It's painful. It's always going to be painful. Oh, I don't know. About five years ago, I did. I was working as a clinical director at a church here in town under their counseling center. And we did a Christmas service for people who had lost a loved one, either that year or you know fairly recently. And we had, oh, golly. I anticipated maybe 15 or 20 people, but word got out in the community. I think we had like 100 probably 150 people there. But one of the most pivotal or one of the most wonderful things that we did is when they came in, they actually wrote the name of their loved one on a card. And then during the service, we would get up and we would read every single person's name. And that's when you saw people start to like, you could tell Uh this deep breath, like, wow, somebody actually said it. I don't, you know? So I think being able to just talk freely and not feel like you have to quote comfort them, but just say, Hey, take me in this conversation. Where are we going? Where are you at? So yeah, yeah, it's tough though. Grief is a hard one. That's a tough one, though. Mm-hmm. So, so is it okay to ask them what they miss about? Yes. Anything that, that's personal like that? Yes. That's okay? I think it's great. Yeah. Okay. yeah. What do you miss? I mean, especially if it's somebody that I haven't met. You know, if they, let's say that somebody comes to my office, and I will just ask them those questions. Tell me what quality of your dad, what quality of your dad do you possess? Mm. You know, tell me what is the one thing you're taking away. 
that people would say, oh man, you just like your dad in that. I want to know that. I want to, I want to uh, know his name. I want to do for a living. And you just ask all those questions. Okay. Tell me your favorite memory of, you know, Christmas with him. What yeah. did you do that was funny? Yeah. Or goofy, you know. So what's something you miss about your dad? He was quiet, German. He was quiet, but he always had a, um, a pretty good sense of humor. And even in the later stages, he had what was called frontotemporal dementia. So he was, he lost his ability to speak about two years ago. So we had pretty quiet, but it was funny. He still understood everything that was going on. But if you would make a joke or something, he would just get a grin on his face and you could see him kind of chuckling. I, I miss that, just that look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when mom would get frustrated with him because she couldn't get, he couldn't get her to understand something and she'd get frustrated. I don't know if that was, it made him laugh, which made her angrier. Yeah. And I know that's not a good thing, but as the child of that, hilarious <laughs> it was great watching it was it hilarious. was funny it was funny yeah yeah, yeah. well i appreciate you sharing yeah, yeah. so it, it, it's a yeah yeah it's a process for sure what's his name what was your dad's bill. name bill bill Nicole. william no billy bill. and like b-i-l-i-e like okay like a woman would spell it and i'm like why that was why? His, it, his, his born name billy yeah. okay billy. Yeah. yeah yeah wow so he's a great guy yeah, he is a great guy. I can tell. Yeah, he's a great guy. So, okay, couple one one last question I got for Todd, then we're gonna kind of wrap it up. So, what is a crazy experience that you've had as a therapist that you can share? You know, <laughs> well, the the crazy, honestly, the craziest one. Then this has been years ago. I mean, probably 15, 16 years ago. I had a guy that come came in that he thought. I don't know if we can say this. Or not. <laughs> he thought people were the people were following him, uh -huh. and it, it was it had some paranoia and some issues with that. Yeah. And he honestly thought that people were taping him and videotaping him and audio recording yeah. him. And so he wanted to prove to me that he was not wearing a wire. So he okay. stripped in front of me oh during a session. Oh, and wow. I'm taking my notes. The way I do things is I have my computer with me and I'm kind of taking notes and yeah. I, I can talk and engage and type at the same time. So I wasn't really watching him. I was making a note. I looked up about the time he got down to his underwear and I was like, <laughs> you know what? I totally believe you, buddy. I totally believe you. I believe you. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> wow. put the pants back on. And okay. let's, yeah. yeah. So that was my craziest yes, story. Yes. And um, that's why Todd's a trained professional, <laughs> a trained licensed professional. He I learned, didn't learn how to, he, he learned how to deal with those kinds of situations yeah. in school. That would but uh, yeah, there you yeah. go. But that's the one and only <laughs> yeah. time that's happened. And so you, you anyway. never know. You never yeah. know. So I, for all of you, you know, you've got some great tips and tools from a different perspective from Todd Nickel. And so how can somebody that wants to reach you and your practice reach you, Todd? You, They can either call our offices. It's Axiom Counseling and Therapy Services here in Wichita. Give the phone number. Is that okay? Phone number and okay. website. Yeah. 316-239-1888. Eight zero, or look us up on the website. It's axiomcounseling.com. Axiomcounseling.com. Right, and that's so. A-X-I-O-M, yeah. as in Mary, .com. And you'll see all the bios and all the backgrounds from all the clinicians that we have in the office. And you'll see a picture of our emotional support dogs. Oh, and those are, yeah, yep. the wiener dogs, Yeah, right? Yep. Yeah, okay, yep. very good. So, so what I want to do is a few other things to think about here is for you right now on a scale of 1 to 10, what improvement did you make by listening to some of these tips, these relational tips and emotional tips? So maybe, you know, you could say, I gained a whole bunch or I just gained a little, or I don't care what it is, but I want you to take something away and think about one tip, one trick, one tool that you want to take away from today and then apply it to your life. It's going to be a risk. It's going to be an emotional risk. And so, for example, it could be something that Todd suggested about meeting new people, or it could be about sharing emotions, awkward emotions, or asking people questions who are grieving. What is an emotional risk that you could take based on today and something you could teach to somebody else? And also, challenge for you, remember my 70-30 rule. 
change, transformational change is 30% insight. We're getting insight today and it's 70% action. You have to take some kind of action. And I would encourage you to take some kind of action in the next 24 hours. Take some kind of action in the next 24 hours. If you like this podcast, have me or my team out to speak at your place of work or over Zoom. Would love to do a workshop for you. Would love to do something for you. So I'm going to sign off as I always do. Make it your mission to live the life now that you want to be remembered for 10 years after you're gone. You decide your legacy. No one else. I appreciate you greatly, and I'll see you next time. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.